warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our programme. podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd have heard the conversation off air that we had literally seconds ago, you would think there was no hint of professionalism at all. Stephen, good morning. Morning, Matt. (laughs) We may be having some technical difficulties. This is the first time, you know, over Skype that we've had. Normally it's it's, it's brilliant and it's probably... Something they've done to the northern Wi-Fi um, rather than down your end. But um, yes, unfortunately. Yeah, from what I can hear, um, hopefully this won't come out in the final sort of edit. Stephen is dropping out every now and again. He sounds like Norman Collier, which is a reference for the teenagers out there, isn't it, old man? So um, hopefully... (laughs) <laughs> Stephen's recording from his end and we can sort of tie this up and it, it should sound okay if it doesn't we're going to have to put up with it but let's see how we go how are you sir how's things oh I've been incredibly busy so this is a, a nice um, finish off for last week being so busy and, and hectic that I'm able to have a nice nice relax talking to a good friend and talking about a good film oh that's interesting on both of those counts thank you good friend and a good film so we're getting some indication of where your thoughts lie on the movie we're going to be talking about later. Yeah, a little bit of a spoiler. Oh, have you seen it before? Uh, no, I don't. I think, well, I think I've seen bits of it, but I, ne- I don't ever remember watching the entirety of it now. I've seen it... I mean, let's just have a little preamble before we go into the review. I'd seen it three or four times. You know, I'd seen it quite recently in the last two years. And there's still bits in this that throw me, sort of tonally, about the film. But I did enjoy it again this time round. And I was on Twitter earlier this morning saying it is a quintessential 60s British movie, which it really is. It's quite iconic, actually. Yeah, it's um, it's got quite... I don't know how to describe it. The The way it's done, it's got a kind of that 60s pop approach to it where, you know, it's got bits of music or some of the quick-moving scenes where, you know, they're dashing around and, and things like this and just acting up and things it's that thing that you know is carried you know you see in the Beatles movies and other things like that where they're, they're just and you know the monkeys and etc it's that kind of pop frenzy almost in some parts that that seems to be um part of the time in which it was made yeah yeah well it is 1966 mm. it's the height of swinging mm. London you know it's World Cup year it's Michael Caine it's Carnaby Street it's all that kind of thing was literally exploding and it was the biggest it was it was the focal point of the world wasn't it london at this time yeah i mean the it was seeing people you know when uh when she gets dropped off on the scooter 
uh, Madeline gets dropped off on the scooters, all the, the lads on the scooters pull up and she hops off and stuff. And I'm just thinking, this is around the same time as Quadrophenia was actually set. That's you know. I thought of you when that bit was on the uh, was on the screen. I thought, wow, this is this is going to appeal to Stephen. But we haven't revealed what it is. It's 1966. It's Georgie Girl starring Lynn Redgrave. Let's take a short break, mate. We'll be back with our review after this. This is Georgie Girl. This is Georgie Girl. This is Georgie Girl. A whole lot of women. Georgie girl. All I hear is Georgie girl. What's so special about her? You don't know. <laughs> Ask James Mason. He knows. I want you to be my mistress. So he wants Georgie girl. But what's he seeing her? <laughs> Ask Alan Bates. He's been around. Maybe he'll tell you. You naked underneath that coat. Stark. Let's have a look then. Strippers. She's a girl. She's immature. <laughs> Who'd want to try on with old Georgie? Georgie girl. Oh, that's my girl. That's enough of that, George. Why? I like it. I say she's asking for trouble. And here's a doll never out of trouble. Hi there. Charlotte, how do you feel about Georgie? I'm bored. I was living with Georgie. You're a bitch! What the hell did I marry you? Oh, just please go away! Why did you marry me? <laughs> that rotten to the core girl, Charlotte Rampling, is Georgie's roommate. A sexy little dish, but she reckoned without Georgie. Hey Georgie girl, now you've got a future plan for you. Georgie Girl, released here, according to IMDb, Stephen, in West Germany on the 4th of August 1966. Interesting they've chosen West Germany, because as I say, literally the month before, I think they were beaten 4-2 in the World Cup by England, but I don't know why there's no English or British release date here. Directed by a guy called Silvio Narizano, written by Margaret Forster who also wrote the screenplay and the novel it was based on, starring James Mason, Alan Bates, Lynn Redgrave in the title role. We've also got Charlotte Rampling, Bill Owens there as well. Very, very brief appearance for Denise Coffey and a very brief appearance for Dandy Nichols. You being the, the guardian of the Village Hall of Fame, Bill Owen must be, <laughs> Bill Owen must be creeping in there. Uh, he's made it. I'll tell you why I'm saying this. I'm telling yeah. yeah, because Carry On Nurse, at the time we, we're recording this episode, Carry On Nurse hasn't been put out. 
and I'm sure he was in Carry On Sergeant. He was in Carry On Sergeant and Carry On Nurse and this, yeah. Uh, Dandy Nichols makes her second appearance, but um, is yet to have that uh, triple. Okay, so I think Bill Owen goes into the Hall of Fame with this, which is interesting. Does. Again, yes. one of the lesser names that we expect. It's just proving the, the theory that we had all along that your Michael Caines and that are not going to get in there just yet. It's going to be these guys. First time watch for you. Let me give you a synopsis, unless you have one there. No, I'll leave it to you. Okay. IMDB's brief synopsis. A homely but vivacious young woman dodges the amorous attentions of her father's middle-aged employer while striving to capture some of the glamorous life of her swinging London roommate. That sounds like a typical swinging 60s British movie plot. You know, you think, oh yeah, great, that's that's going to be something I'm going to look forward to. The poster is quite deceptive. It doesn't give you an idea of what you're going to let yourself in for for the next 90 minutes. Um, the bouncy theme tune doesn't give you any idea of what's going to happen over the next 90 minutes. And, and tonally, I think, this movie is a bit all over the place, but it works. You know, is it a kitchen sink drama? Is it a knockabout comedy? I'm interested to find out what you think, mate, being this your first proper viewing. I think it's both of those things. Um, for me, uh, it had great charm in the fact that it had that um, chaotic humour and the fact that, you know, they were um, they were interacting, you know, in the flat just um, with using accents to each other and using, again, like I said before, the, the sort of the pop references where they're... they're their conversation is based upon, you know, if they're on a panel show of a TV programme and, and that kind of thing, or um, a radio announcer um, or a, a quiz show and things like this. It's it's that reference to pop culture that that made me sort of think of the, the, the pop element of this. Uh, but absolutely, there's underlying issues in there which are, you know, to do with um, abortion and an, an older man trying to buy his way into the affections of a younger woman and, um, you know, the marriage between rich people, being, you know, and, and the um, the way in which the younger people, their approach to life is completely different. And it's, it's, it is a social commentary as well as being, having this just quick wit element and almost chaos um, pop bit in there. It, it definitely drew me in definitely made me just enjoy it all the way through the ending i felt was a little bit um out, out of sync for me unfortunately but up until that point it had just it had worked i mean it's you know it's dealing with some issues without actually making them heavy which is interesting but um particularly with the mores of the day but um yeah it's it's just it keeps moving it certainly bounces along at a cracking old pace and and as you sort of hinted there there's some very dark dark elements dark themes in this it was x-rated it had an x-certificate and i first watched this as we've mentioned many times is the case here this was a friday night movie on bbc for me and even back then i'm talking i'd have said it was early 80s first time i saw this because it was a you know previously rated an X certificate, this wasn't shown till after half past ten at night. Because it you know it's not the first movie to mention abortions or 
extramarital affairs, but it's certainly quite matter-of-fact about it. It, it doesn't hide any of these subjects away is brought straight to the forefront. Yeah, it puts them, puts them in the centre and allows people to actually digest how it is from the point of view of the people going through it and the differing opinions within that, rather than it being a judgment from the outside or it being used that they're, they're kind of um, used to be vilified or it's actually trying to make a statement about abortion it just it's in there it just is it's there and and unwanted pregnancies and unwanted babies that's that's there but it's not making a a moral statement on it just the story yeah just the story bearing in mind sort of five years previously the pill became widely available um so, you know, if we were watching this movie, if this movie was made early 60s, the whole thing about backstreet abortions and that would have been more to the fore, you know, it would have been something that they would have tackled. But it's, it's just the fact that Charlotte Rampling's character, I think she plays a girl, a girl called Meredith here, is so, yeah, yeah. Is, <laughs> is so matter-of-fact. There's, there's a point where she says, I think it's to Alan Bates, she says, well, I can get rid of it. I've got rid of two of yours already. And then we also discover that those two... I thought she was joking at first because she laughs. But we then discover that Georgie, played by Lynn Redgrave, actually paid for them. Or James Mason's character would have paid for them, if, if truth yeah. be told. It's an interesting set of relationships, isn't it? It's it's like Howard's End. We've got three different... Or two or three different... Um, sort of partnerships and relationships and the way things go on you know we see the relationship between Georgie and Meredith you've got the relationship between Alan Bates and Lynn Redgrave you've got the relationship between James Mason and Georgie and you think at first you think what's the James Mason bit got to do with anything but as is the case in most of these films that we watch you keep watching and you'll be pleasantly surprised and pleasantly rewarded as it all seems to gel together does it comes about that at what seems like just a, a throwaway um, point in the plot and a character that is just a, a, a side point for just spurring on um, one part of the plot it actually turns out that he's actually more integrated later on and um, in actual fact um, has a, a, a larger part to play as the film concludes really yeah, yeah, it's and as you say, the ending is questionable. We'll talk about that as we as we go further along. Let's go right back to the beginning. Yeah. Go to the beginning, and it starts off with one of the most famous British. Well, it wasn't British; it was Australian, wasn't it? But um, '60s pop songs by the Seekers, which is Georgie Girl itself, written by Tom Springfield, the brother of Dusty. Lyrics by Jim Dale. Now. Surprisingly, Jim Dale's first appearance on the podcast. We'd have thought we'd have been, you know, a couple of Carry On movies that we'd have seen him. Yeah, yeah, good point, yeah. I know the Dusty Springfield connection, you know, because I think there was some mention in there to do with Tom Wynn um, from your Rainbow Valley episode about Dusty Springfield, so that's, you know, already on my, my radar. Instantly, you, you get this bouncy opening sequence where you see, you know, you don't know nothing about this, this this particular girl played by Lynn Redgrave. Incidentally, 
the role originally was penciled in for her sister, Vanessa, which I don't think would have right. worked. I don't think would have worked because of the character itself. I think Lynn Redgrove is perfectly suited, both looks-wise and attitude-wise, to this. Again, we'll talk about that as we go on. But instantly, you've got this bouncy 60s famous pop tune, and you're seeing Lynn Redgrave on the screen, and the lyrics are reflecting what's going on, and it's one of the cruelest lyrics for one of the happiest songs ever, because within the first verse, um, nobody you could ever meet could see the loneliness there inside you why do all the boys pass you by could it could it could it be you just don't try or is it the clothes you wear and it's like oh that's a bit mean you know but when you get to know the character of georgie she's quite independent she knows what she wants all right she's quite unlucky in love she for for what we know she is a virgin she's never been kissed you know but she's got a lot of other things going on in her life and she's happy in her own little way but also there is a lot of sadness there as well. Yeah, there's a duality to her in that um in in some ways she's quite childlike in her outlook. I think she's been um doted on you know, by parents and um the James Mason character. So she's been given sort of that form of attention and liberty and uh, almost spoilt in some ways. And then her Desire obviously to to have children or to be around children is shown there. The way that the the local kids um, interact with her, that she's you know seen as being almost one of them, or or you know is a, a ringleader in some ways. And that's you know, and these are little kids that we're talking about. You know, sort of you know five and six and seven year olds and stuff. And I I think that that side of her character shows that there's there's an immaturity to her, but there's also that. Um, like you said, the independence and her own own type of maturity that just doesn't fit in with basically anybody else in the film, which is why she's slightly at odds, why, you know, the love life might not be happening as it should, why she's not not invited to the party with Meredith, why, you know, her parents despair of her and why she's seen as a bit of an embarrassment at um the posh parties as well as the the um the young parties it she's 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 a character that's just out of sorts with you know which situation she's in um and that's telling really of of who she is i mean you're probably not too familiar with this but if you wanted a modern day equivalent she's almost like a bridget jones type character um, I suppose, in a sense, yeah. I mean, I think Bridget Jones has has got a bit more of a focus on yearning for what the media has given as a stereotype of what women should have and what women should be. Um, but whereas I think the Georgie character is wanting a more simple, just um, straightforward, wanting to have a happy life, just have, you know, quite homely in some ways um i don't think she's she's aspiring to having what could be considered the trappings of modern life she just wants simplicity okay so the film basically starts we meet georgie she is from what we can gather she is the daughter of uh, a parent parents that are in service to quite a wealthy businessman played by james mason um her yes. fa- yeah her father is billowing as we've mentioned and immediately within the first couple of minutes, 
we learn that the James Mason character has actually paid for her to go through finishing school and has, has actually mentored her in a way financially to give her this better education, this better life than she probably would have got. Yes. But as the film... And so I know, is it grooming? It almost is. This is the thing I was going to say because then as the film progresses, it becomes quite dark when you realise there may be an ulterior motive for James Mason's actions. Um... And this is also in the middle of the point where James Mason made a little bit of a, a mini career of playing creepy old men after younger women because, you know, a couple of years earlier we'd have had Lolita. And then I think a couple yeah. of years after this we had Age of Consent, I think, with Helen Mirren, where, he, you know, he cornered that market briefly, you know, for a few years. Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, that we've got him in it and he's he's another one, that you like you said, you would expect to be the the bigger talents that would actually crop up more often in the village hall of fame and um it's actually unusual in this in that um the, the person who is known in this country for being a you know a famous yorkshireman actor um isn't actually a yorkshireman in a way and he's not playing a yorkshireman in this film but the one who is actually a famous yorkshire actor um is is for once using his natural accent and that's james mason yeah, incredible, isn't it? You know, the way it all gets turned around. Um, Bill Owen's a bit of an eye-opener as well for me because I, I was only used to him as Compo in Last of the Summer Wine and to see him in these early roles, I get to appreciate him a little bit more now. He was a bloody great actor. Oh, he, he could act. He was a great actor and, and playing the comedy roles, particularly in Last of the Summer Wine and then even when you see him in the earlier roles with um, the carry-ons and such, the, you know, he's got his co- ability for comic acting but that's not really his um full repertoire and when you see him doing things like this where there's more actual acting needed he, he's he's there he does it it's it's great that he's you know they've they've managed to utilize him the way they have and the role he's playing like you say has been the um the the guy who's coming to service and has been done the favor by the james mason character and and continues to be so um, grateful to him that he's, you know, he's willing for whatever liberties to be taken, even with his daughter, in order to to be appreciative of what's been done for him. It's um, it's it's again, like the Admiral Crichton, seeing people with their social status sort of um, knowing their place and trying to appreciate it, um, rather than thinking, well, hold on, this isn't quite right, you know. It's also about this point we meet. The other man in George's life. Now, again, it, it's just the way people are introduced in this movie. It, you, you sort of take a little step back and think, the director and the screenwriter here have done something a little bit different. You know, usually when you, you watch a movie and you're, you're, you're gradually introduced to characters or you don't get to know too much about a character until you see, you know, a few minutes worth of, of screen time with them and you get to learn about the little nuances and the things that make them tick. We first get introduced to Alan Bates in a long shot, you know, walking along by the canal, acting acting the fool, yeah. you know. And you think, OK, this guy's got a sense of humour, this guy's not taking life too seriously. And obviously as the story progresses, when he has to take things seriously, the other people in his life seem to let him down. But... Instantly, I think you know people that haven't seen this film might automatically assume 
Okay, Alan Bates is Charlotte Rampling's girlfriend. Charlotte Rampling is a bitch. He's got a very similar personality and an outlook on life as Georgie. They're going to get together. Yeah, that would be the presumption and would be the progression of a of um, a weaker plot, I think. Um, that would be the way it would progress. There would be the some form of... Um, some form of misunderstanding that maybe um, get to the stage where um, Meredith and him were about to get married and then at the final moment he realised who he actually did um, love and who was really the one that he should be with and that would, you know, then it would cut back to this, the wedding scene and it would be her under the veil instead and uh, no, that that would be a lesser plot but um, in, in this scenario um, and this plot it's done which much more skill and imagination um and and joy really it just really does play out a lot lot more interesting and, and and pleasurable yeah and i think that's that's mainly you know thanks to margaret forster who wrote the original source material and also wrote the screenplay so she had control over how these characters would be portrayed so it's her vision of them it's not another screenwriter's vision of you know interpreting a source material interpreting a novel and it works really well I say tonally you are a bit confused for a while because as I say there's these very dark elements we, we talk about abortion we're talking about extramarital affairs but then you get these sort of bouncy scenes as you say with the interaction between Meredith and Georgie you know talking to each other as if they're on a chat show you get the interaction of um, uh, of Georgie and Alan Bates, where he's pretending to be like a Humphrey Bogart-type gangster, you know, walking in with the raincoat and the cigar. But then within seconds, we're getting this really dark undertone to it. But it works. It doesn't... It, does it jolt in any way for you? Or I, I think it actually made the movie. It gelled fine. The humour... The, the, that clowning that f- fooling around that with you know trying to make light of um sadder situations or, or dark things going on i mean that's something that you know we've been used to ourselves in in life and i think people who you know well recognized humor as a way of either dealing with sort of darker things or in some ways actually um trying to cover over the cracks that these things aren't actually happening is something that I think maybe had been ignored in cinema in the main previously and now is something that in this film is actually been embraced that that's how people are in particularly in this country um, you know they will use humour to try and deal with situations rather than actually just become so embroiled in the sadness of things so i think that plays well out and for us being the type of people we are it it feels more natural that that's the way they are doing it rather than it jarring yeah it's not certainly not a movie that's going to be bubbly and bouncing along for the 90 minutes and it's not a movie that's going to be oh that's a bit grim you know for 90 minutes we've got a real interesting mix of 
emotions here you know as a, as a viewer you're sort of put through the ringer a little bit because you feel for Georgie right from the beginning that that's one thing I must say Lynn Redgrave has created a character that straight away you don't necessarily associate with but you think she's likeable I like her you know she's a character she's she's somebody I could probably go and have a few beers with and have a laugh with yeah to be honest she's one of the few like she's one of the I think she's possibly the only person in the film that actually is completely likable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The other the other three, you know, main characters have all got things going against them. You know, whether it yeah. be, whether it be James Mason's attitude towards his sick wife and, you know, the fact that he is lusting after this much much younger woman, Meredith's don't give an f attitude. Um I'm I'm quite fine. I'm dressed up in Mary Quant clothes because it was Mary Quant. If you look at the uh, at the title credits at the beginning, her her clothes was dis, um, was designed by Mary Quant. How how much more sixties can we get in this movie? Yeah, and how much more removed from the actual um, you know the clothes that the character could actually have. But still, yeah. But then even then, she's been seeing Alan Bates's character for a while. She's off out on a Friday night with some other guy. Um, eventually ending up with a sugar daddy you know later on in the movie um, and then you've got Alan Bates who's also got a bit of a, a nasty streak to him as well you know even to the point where it does result to a bit of physical violence between him and Meredith towards the end you know when he finds out that there have been a couple of abortions that he wasn't aware of so as you say yeah I think Lynn Redgrave is, is probably the most likeable character in the whole of the movie Absolutely. We get a very strange scene about halfway through. Just wanted to pick your brain on this one. Um, it's James Mason's birthday. He's having a party. And we know from the beginning of the movie he's already bought her a dress to wear. And she's a bit sort of nonchalant about the whole thing. Oh, I might go, I might not. You know, just casually throws the dress to one side. But she does eventually go to the party. So she turns up and she puts on the dress. She puts on this, some wildly extravagant makeup and beads and, and you know, jewellery and does this almost drunken rendition of a song that the band are playing as she makes her entrance. Well, she gets them, she starts singing it and the band then joins in, thinking, sort of, they're sort of looking at each other thinking, what are we meant to do here? And then they sort of play along because they think, well, this is what we're here for. And you can see they're sort of indecision at one point, but but it's who starts it with the singing and then they just join in. Yeah, but that bit was just, I don't know, it just seemed to be, I don't know, why was that put in there? What part of her character is that supposed to portray? The fact that she really doesn't give a damn? The fact that, wasn't she rejected literally before that or something because she was supposed to be going out with Meredith, wasn't she? And then Alan Bates has turned up and... That's right, they end up going back to the flat, so she has to get out of the house anyway, doesn't she? So this is where she ends up at the party, and it's just like the wild and carefree Georgie that we're learning to to know about. Yeah, it's it's the, if you want me here, you're going to have me sort of what's and all and, and how I want to be. But I think she's also trying to be outrageous to the point where um, she's showing them that, that you know, the, almost forcing her to be at that party and the, trying to mould her into being something she's not with buying her a, a dress that she doesn't feel is her and etc she's gonna like just exude herself over it all and and play up 
to such a degree where they're either not going to invite her in future or they're going to actually compromise with her about who she is. But, you know, Dr. Nice is just trying to maybe liven it up herself and, and cheer herself up by, again, acting out a character, um, which is something that she seems to do in order to get over some of the upset and heartaches. She does resort to this playing a character and, and playing up and um, trying to amuse herself with things, even if it doesn't amuse the other people around her in this situation. Let's wind this up a wee bit. The, the ending, um, you mentioned this at the beginning of you know the show this morning, that the ending is, is a bit jarring. I, is, is it yeah, right? Is it wrong? Yeah, the difficulty for me is that the character of Georgie herself doesn't seem like the one that would give in and go along with what somebody else wants. And it seems to be that she does give up. Now, I can understand that might be uh, motivated by, um, you know, the the situation with the baby and things. But still, you get the feeling that she's actually embraced that situation when it wasn't something she was even, even remotely going to do so previously. So that does seem like an about-face, which is jarring for me, unfortunately. Um, so I, I, I know I'm possibly not the only one on that. Do you know what sort of hit me when I watched it this time round? For a movie that is quite open about um, sort of proclaiming sexual liberation, women's liberation to a certain degree as well, particularly in the Meredith character, you get this really strange decision on Georgie's part that the answer to everything that's gone wrong, you know, throughout the course of the movie is for her to marry this creepy guy. <laughs> a, a motherhood, yeah. su- you know, motherhood suits her. You know, she, she was born to be a mother. That's that's the that's the feeling I get. And it just seems weird that you've you've got this this movie that's proclaiming all the benefits and and the joys of the permissive society. And as I say, Meredith's character is quite strong in her beliefs, and that she's going to be independent. And and George is quite a free spirit and independent in a way. But then the ending, it's like, oh, let's just conform. Let's just go to convention because I'm effectively a single mother of a child that isn't mine. What do I need to do? Financial security? Is that why she's done it? I don't know. It just seemed a bit strange. If it was financial security, it'd be financial security and um, possibly a respectable upbringing for the actual baby rather than the consequences of that to herself. Um, I think... I, 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 don't, I haven't read the book, so um, if if the book has a different, slightly different ending, that wouldn't surprise me. The film, I think, would need this kind of ending for it to actually get past censors at all because otherwise there, it is not just the permissive society, but it's the permissive society and um, it's working out well, which obviously they don't want to promote at, even at that point. So um, I don't know if the book does tie in or not, but it, for the film, it it just doesn't quite sit right at the end, despite the rest of the film being um, great. That just slightly is at odds. I would say, um, but doesn't spoil the film. 
Yeah, don't don't get put off that anybody that hasn't seen the film that we're saying all the the ending is fine. It's just it just doesn't sit quite right. Um, just in summary, we're, we're having a few technical difficulties here on Skype, so we're going to try and wind this up a wee bit. Um, third or fourth watch for me. I, I enjoyed this equally this time round, and I saw a few things in it that I hadn't seen previously. Um, I hated Charlotte Rampling in this, which proves she actually gave a bloody fine performance. Alan Bates, we're going to see more of him as the podcast progresses. This is a good one to see the sort of start of Alan Bates. There's lots of other roles that we're going to get our teeth into with him coming up. And as I say, Lynn Redgrave, it's a shame she didn't do a lot more. She didn't do as much or became as famous as her siblings and her parents and, and, you know, uh, which is a shame because she was, you know, this performance here is absolutely magical from her. It does. It shows her quality, yeah. It it shows her quality, yeah, and, um, you know, it was a small amount of performances but quality in, in all of them, really. And um, you know, this is probably the 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 best way to be introduced to her. Yeah, excellent. And as we've noticed in, in previous movies as we've been reviewing them, the bit parts, you know, the people that are in the background, the people that are sort of holding the the story together, like your Bill Owens or your cameo, almost a cameo appearance from Dandy Nichols. It's it's brilliant to watch, you know. And and it's all tied together with um, posters for Bovril and you know packets of Vim on the on the on the sink. You know, it's it's that perfect little snapshot of the sixties. It is the height of the sixties, as we said, sixty six, Carnaby Street, Michael Caine, all of that. And this is one of those movies that you know is always mentioned when people talk about sixties movies, and quite rightly so, I think. Yes, because as we said, it's quintessentially sixties, and it's the quirkiness of the sixties actually laid out. Yeah, yeah. Um, bounces between sort of the dark side of, of social uh, commentary, but also there's quite a fun element to this movie. Well, very, very fun element to this movie as well. Recommended. I'm certainly recommending it to anybody that's, you know, keen on anything to do with the 60s or British movies in general. Yourself? Oh, absolutely, yeah. This is one that's an easy watch anyway. And, you know, because it's, it takes up so little time, because, you know, it feels, felt quite short, even though it's probably about an hour and a half, but it's it's just an easy watch and it's, it doesn't leave you of anything except, uh, you know, a bit of a smile and a sort of, oh, yeah, that was that that was fun, that made me laugh in points and, you know, did actually show some good acting as well. So I recommend people, you know, have, have a good look for it and if they can, you know, sit down and have a watch, um you don't necessarily have to go to the cinema for it, but it's worth looking out for because it does actually have that that status and that quality. Definitely, there's a, there's a brand new Blu-ray version of it got released a few months ago. It's limited edition as well. I picked it up. It's quite expensive. It was like fifteen quid, um, but I wanted it. I wanted it in part of my collection, and the transfer is absolutely marvellous. There's a few uh, documentaries and interviews on there which I haven't watched as yet. And I'm going to go back and have a little look at those over the next couple of days, you know. Fine. Absolutely marvellous, mate. Let's take a short break. We'll be back with what we're watching next time.
Okay, time to wind things up here on this particular episode. As I selected Georgie Girl for this one, I do believe it must be your turn, sir. What have you got in store for us? Well, uh, we're moving back into the colour um, films uh, for my next choice. And um, I picked a film that I expect you've seen a couple of times. Um, it takes place in the West London district of Notting Hill and it's a story about young love and mistaken identity and the repercussions of letting people into your apartment. Um, stars two immense acting talents in the lead roles um, and based upon that description I'm sure it'll come as no surprise to you that it's um, 10 Rillington Place. Oh my god. You led me totally down the wrong way there. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's been top of my list or near the top for months. Um, I may have to ask Charlie if he wants to be part of this, or at least contribute. Oh, please, yeah. At least contribute yeah. something audio-wise because he watched it a couple of years ago for the first time and he was totally obsessed with it. Um, same with my nephew. For some reason, it's his favourite film, which is a bit worrying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so does Richard Attenborough go into the Hall of Fame? Possibly. Um, Possibly. John Hurt yeah. may do. I don't know. I love that movie. And I'm so glad that you said Ten Religion Place and not the one that I thought you were going to go for. <laughs> so, but yes, Attenborough, Attenborough, I believe, will go in because of um, it was in which we serve and legal gentleman. He was in that, wasn't he? So, uh, yeah, legal gentleman, legal gentleman, and, and in which we serve. So yes, this will be his his yeah. entry. Fantastic. So. We thought he'd be one of the first. Yeah. Marvelous choice. Um, we are actually recording on Mother's Day. Next episode. So. <laughs> So, what better way of celebrating your loved ones? Um, <laughs> and talking about abortions in this episode, where, where have we led to? Temry Litton Place, fantastic. <laughs> Stephen, it's been a pleasure, sir. I am so looking forward to next week. Me too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, mate. See you later. Take care, mate. Shut Good luck. Thank you.
keeping the British end up, sir. Ha, ha, ha.